0: Andy, thank you for your ministry and the gifts that are yours that you've shared with us, not only this morning, but also over the course of the last semester. And thanks to all who have been involved in one way or another uh, with this service thus far. Well, there are any number of four letter words that have no place in a minister's vocabulary or anyone else's for that matter. Some words comprised of four letters, however, should punctuate and animate a Christ follower speech. Words like holy, love, life, gift, give, help, and hope. One could also add the names Lord, Mark, John, and of course Paul to this little list. In any event, I would like to focus this morning's convocation address on the little yet life-giving word, H-O-P-E. We are never not in need of it, but at this particular moment in time, it seems that we need a heaping helping, if not a double portion of hope. Between a dangerous, deadly pandemic and an efficacious, widely distributed, and injected vaccine, we need hope. Between a storming of our nation's capital and an inauguration in our nation's capital, we need hope. Between unacknowledged, unredressed racism and a robust denunciation of racial discrimination and a concomitant commitment to effect systemic change, we need hope. Between the already and the not yet, we need hope. Beyond wishful thinking and declaring in the optative mood, would that it were, from a biblical and theological angle of vision, hope is faith on tiptoes. It's the forward thrust of trust. It is akin to Hebrews' description of faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things not seen. Perhaps I am simply seeing that for which I am looking. But expressions of hope seem more and more common and the need for hope seems more and more pressing in these times that are trying our souls, not to mention our very resolve. Roughly one year ago now, Dr. Scott M. Gibson, the David E. Garland Professor of Preaching and Director of the Ph.D. in Preaching Program here at Truett Seminary, suggested to me that it would be both fitting and helpful to make more widely accessible the 34-year-end messages that the namesake of our school, George Washington Truett, wrote to the people of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, from the years 1910 to 1944. Way led to way, and last spring, as COVID 19 began to rear its ugly head, I edited and annotated these Christmas and New Year's messages for publication. Then, late last year, Baylor University Press published these letters under the title, With Radiant Hope. Although any number of themes recur, in these yearly communications from Truett to the congregation that he pastored no less than 47 years. A leading theme, if not the leading theme, is that of hope. No less than 44 times in 34 letters, Truitt speaks of hope or the lack thereof. His holy hope, at times hoping against hope, is that both he and his would be marked and buoyed by a radiant, defiant, confident hope. One written example of such a commitment must suffice. Some 111 years ago now, Truett penned these hope-filled words. May every succeeding year and day come to you radiant with hope, bringing such experiences only as may be best for you. Whatever the experiences, may the almighty helper, the master of life and light and love, direct you by his counsel and reinforce you for every duty, himself journeying with you and speaking to you as a friend speaketh to a friend. As you leave chapel this morning, please pick up a complimentary copy of With Radiant Hope for your personal library. If you're joining us virtually, we will happily mail you a copy if you'll send us a mailing address. George W. Truett died in July of 1944. In December of that same year, according to a story frequently and famously told by the rabbi Hugo Grin, Hugo and his father were in a German concentration camp, ironically and tragically named Liberos, Life Rose. Having announced that it was the eve of Hanukkah, Hugo's father took a homemade clay bowl, and lit a wick immersed in a melted ration of margarine. Before his father could recite the blessing, Hugo looked at him and objected, we need that food. We can't afford to waste it on a candle. In response, his father looked at him and then at the lamp, and looking back at Hugo, he said to him, you and I have seen that it is possible to live up to three weeks without food. We once lived almost three days without water. But you can't live at all without hope. Less than 20 years later, on August 28, 1963 to be precise, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. would strategically and symbolically stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. to deliver his now iconic I Have a Dream speech. Among other things, Dr. King, whose birthday our nation celebrated yesterday, said this on that day. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. This is our hope, King spoke. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew Out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. This morning we have heard from sacred scripture, a prophet, a psalmist, and an apostle calling and encouraging a people to hew out of a mountain of despair a stone of hope. Additionally, In what many New Testament scholars rightly to my mind regard to be Paul's earliest surviving letter for Thessalonians, hope features. In the opening lines of that letter, Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians' work of faith and labor of love and endurance or steadfastness of hope. Then, having spoken of the Thessalonians as his hope at Christ's parousia in 2.19, Paul admonishes his converts in 4.13, not to grieve regarding the death of loved ones as others do who have no hope. The common Greco-Roman reaction to death, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not, should not be there or our own reaction to such. Neither should they embrace the Roman imperial slogan, peace and security, poxet et securites, that was current in their day, and is no less than ours, one might add, albeit in different guises and under different regimes. Rather, Paul calls them and us to put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Even as Roman soldiers were to don a gallia, Christ's followers are to dress themselves with the helmet of hope. Football and hockey players... Baseball and softball batters, race car drivers, and bicycle riders would not, or at least should not, consider participating in their respective sports without a helmet. Neither should believers attempt to live the Christian life without hope. It would be as futile as it is fruitless. One recalls the Apostle's remarks, if we hope in this life alone, we are of all people to be pitied. Like the recipients of Ephesians, there was a time when we too were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, In Christ Jesus, we, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And even as hope allows us to anticipate what will be, that which no eye has seen nor ear has heard, no human heart has comprehended, the things that God is preparing for the ones who are loving Him, hope allows us to celebrate that which God is already doing, and is already done. Suffering notwithstanding, hope which springs eternal in the human heart, as Dr. Vong read, does not put us to shame. For the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If hope abides in the here and in the hereafter, how can hope be realized and actualized in our lives, in our, in our ministries, in the nitty-gritty reality of another COVID-19 semester, where academic assignments pile up, and where various and sundry familial, professional and financial pressures stack up. Returning to first Thessalonians, we do well to listen. To these Pauline admonitions, always rejoice, so the syntax runs. Without ceasing, pray in all things, give thanks. Why, we might ask, and Paul would add, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy and hope, it seems to me, are either side of the same coin. In Romans 12.12, Paul calls Roman house churches to whom he is writing, to rejoice in hope. A.W. Tozer, a Christian and missionary alliance pastor of the past century, maintained the Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. I wonder if the same might not be said regarding hope. I also wonder if we might ponder whether or not we are paying the debt we owe to others. Whether we, in our own way, in our own day, are seeking the welfare of the city. If our lives are to be animated by joy, they are to be undergirded by ongoing prayer. We would do well like Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, a lay brother who lived in a Carmelite monastery in Paris during the 1600s by seeking to practice the presence of God. Would that we, like Moses of old, were able to speak with God as with a friend. And even as Jesus now calls us friends, We can cultivate that friendship and fellowship further through persistent prayer. If hope is activated in our lives through joy and cultivated in our lives through prayer, it can be demonstrated in our lives through thanksgiving. Gratitude frees us from the prison of complaint and from the shackles of entitlement. It liberates us to give thanks to God with our lips, yes, and also with our lives. Some two weeks ago now, I led a Bible study on Matthew 2, 1 to 12. That's the visit of the Magi, just in the event that you uh, were wondering, for the lead team of the Texas Baptist Student Ministry. And during a Q&A time that followed the teaching, I was asked by a student one of those questions that you fear, what's your favorite Bible verse? I'm not exactly sure what it had to do with what I just taught on, but be that as it may, I responded with the obligatory good question and then with any number of additional caveats, buying myself time, and then 1 Corinthians 4-7 sprang to mind. For who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if though it were not a gift? Even as St. Augustine demonstrably valued this verse, referring to it more than any other single verse in his extant corpus, it was Tom and Erskine who said, In the New Testament... Religion is grace, and ethics is gratitude. And so it is. In First Thessalonians, the Pauline pillars of faith and love and hope appear in that order, even if 1 Corinthians 13 typically gets pride of place. Arguably Paul discerned that the Thessalonians stood in need of hewing out of a mountain of despair brought on perhaps by external opposition for their faith and the recent loss of loved ones in the faith, hewing out of that mountain of despair a rock of hope. Such hope, Paul suggests, is spawned and sustained by rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. This, Paul propounds, is nothing less than the very will of God for our lives in Christ Jesus, our Lord. At times, at least in my own life, I have found it difficult to keep hope alive. Perhaps this is such a true for you as well, in this time, not only for yourself, but for those that you love. Admittedly, I'm a rather blue-sky, glass-half-full kind of guy, but I simultaneously recognize that a positive attitude should not be confused or conflated with the blessed hope that is ours in Christ Jesus." In addition to to Holy Scripture, I'm greatly nurtured and nourished by Christian hymnody and poetry. It occurs to me that any number of the themes that we've been touching upon this morning, not least hope, are taken up in a hymn that I cherish, written by George Matheson, O love that wilt not let me go. Regarding this hymn, Matheson, a Scottish minister who lived from 1842 to 1906 and who became totally blind at the age of 20, writes, I'm not quite sure, or better, I am quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes and equally sure that it never received at my hands any retouching or correction I have no natural gift of rhythm. All the other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles. This came like a dayspring from on high. Please allow me to conclude this morning by sharing this song's lyrics. It will be familiar at least to some. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray that in thy sunshines blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promises not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross, that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust's life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. As I take my seat so that we might reflect upon what the Lord might be saying to us individually and collectively, please suffer me one other four-letter word that should be woven into our theological and liturgical vocabularies. Amen. Or is it Amen? Regardless, so be it and let it be so.